This is the Working Class Audio Podcast, Session 40. Working Class Audio, navigating the world of recording with a working class perspective. Here's your host, Matt Boudreaux. Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast. This, of course, is Session 40, brought to you by our friends over at GearSluts.com. That's a significant number, I would say, wouldn't you? Well, we're getting up there, but anyways, it's good to be there at 40, always always celebrating each session, each episode as it comes up. Um, let's see, I have just returned from uh, Bird and Egg Studios in Richmond, California, which gives you a hint to my guest today. That's uh, Nino Michella, who is the owner of Bird and Egg and We've been meaning to hook up for coffee for a long time, and he and I had a back and forth about uh, some uh, Mogami cables, actually, some snakes, some DB25 snakes on Facebook. And so he ended up buying some cables from me, and I went over there and asked him before I got over there. I said, hey, do you think you'd mind doing an interview? Because I think uh, you'd be an interesting dude to talk to. And sure enough, he obliged, and we sat down for what else? Coffee. So yeah, so we sat down to have a cup of coffee there at Bird and Egg and talk about everything Bird and Egg and, and studio ownership and such and his perspective on on things. So that is coming up, Nino Nino Michella here on Working Class Audio. Um, I have to say it is with great regret that I uh, tell you that uh, another great studio situation is closing due to what else? Rising rents and you know. Uh, all in the name of progress, Coast Recorders, Bill Putnam Room, which used to be my home as Broken Radio. It was the home to uh, Philip Steer and Craig Sylvia's Toast. It was uh, Coast Recorders for Bill Putnam, Coast Recorders for Dan Alexander. And it uh, has been Coast Recorders for um, uh, Tom Richardson and Michael Romanowski of late. And uh, well, Michael, I am told, is moving out of the building, and Tom, of course, is going to move out as well, and the building has been sold. So, yes, uh, a San Francisco studio, one of the largest live, or the largest live room in San Francisco, a Bill Putnam room, now going to whoever bought it. And I don't know who bought it. I don't know all the particulars. I just have been going off of uh, Facebook posts and a couple uh, discussions with some people involved. So, yeah, very disappointing uh, studios closing. Um, I know that as as time goes along and you have a city like San Francisco where you have a buildup of uh, people who are making a lot of money, landlords and, and building owners tend to want to cash in. So, you know, it's it's what happens. And I have mixed feelings about it. You know, part of me says, well, you know, that's that's progress. And the other part of me says, that's bullshit. So there's nothing I can do about it. But it is it is frustrating, and it's definitely frustrating to see a great room go to waste. Now, for all I know, a studio owner has purchased it. And I don't even know if that's true. Um, I'm not saying that is. I'm just, I, I just don't know. I don't know who's bought it. And I don't know their plans, but... I can say that if it's not a studio owner, well, then, you know, it's doomed uh, because it's probably going to become, I don't know, a yoga studio, uh, a shoe shop, a restaurant, high-rise condos. Maybe they'll tear the whole building down. The building dates back to the 1920s. Very interesting. Very interesting. And very sad at the same time. So change is abound. So, you know, I'm wondering, is this, how much is this happening in other cities? You know, I know that... Uh, RCA in Nashville almost suffered a similar fate, and uh, that situation was uh, changed. So there's uh, that's not going to happen in this case. Nobody's going to swoop in and make it a historical building. But uh, the building does go back quite a ways, and uh, obviously you can tell I'm a little bummed about it. So if you have... Uh, you know, stories like that. Actually, if you have positive stories, I'd be curious to hear like around the world, like whether it's Turkey or Russia or Germany, you know, I'd be really curious to hear stories, And uh, you know, obviously here in the United States. How does the, the economic situation affecting your area? Are there studios closing or new ones opening? 
So, you know, feel free to chime in on Facebook and, and let us know your stories. So in the last podcast, I was talking about stretching out, uh, diversifying. And at the time, I was going to be doing a recording class, or actually it was, a, it was a home studio primer class for voiceover people who were looking to set up a home studio. And I got to say, it was a great success doing uh, this class. It was a small class. It was very intimate. It was only, only four people. And it was great because we could just speak one-on-one -on -one and I could address each of their situations and we could talk as a, as a group. It was very nice. So definitely want to encourage you to think about stretching out a bit, you know, whether it's educating people or on audio or whether you're doing, um, you know, transfers for people, cassettes, dats, mini discs, whatever, outdated media, helping people out. And, you know, for the student, doing transfers sometimes can really uh, give you a chance to exercise your chops, your knowledge of your DAW, really learn how to use your tools well, learn how to get, you know, the best out of something, correct something that's a problem. And there's a lot of tools and plugins, which, you know, I won't go into that you all know as well as I do. They're out there, so you can definitely check it out. So that's about it. So let's uh, jump on over to my interview with uh, Nina Michella from Bird and Egg Studios in Richmond, California. I think you're going to enjoy this. We had a, we had a nice time chatting. And uh, once again, uh, you know, coffee, coffee opens doors. Having coffee with people and uh, chit-chatting can really uh, lead to some interesting things. I know that uh, Nino and I, uh, after our coffee we and our interview, we uh, ended up brainstorming a bit on a future uh, working-class audio event, which... Uh, I'll, I'll keep quiet about it now, but I'll just say that getting together with people and uh, interacting with the human race as opposed to, and doing it in person as opposed to doing it from behind Facebook, of course, or via email can really yield some fun and interesting things. So yeah, get out there, have coffee with people. I should get a coffee sponsor. That'd be great. I don't know who I'd get. Be interesting. Anyways, let's get over to our discussion with Nino here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Are we going? Uh, <laughs> well, all right. <laughs> we're, all right. Here we are at the Working Class Audio so Podcast. This is session number 40. I'm I'm here in uh, Bird and Egg Studios with <laughs> Nino Michelle. We're laughing because we actually just sat here for the last, what, 15 yeah, minutes? Yeah, 15 minutes. About probably. 15 minutes doing an interview, and we both looked up and realized. Are you recording? <laughs> we're not recording. Two engineers didn't record the uh <laughs> So I'll say it again, you know. Welcome to the podcast for the second time. Thank you for thank you for having me over today. Thanks, Matt, for um, coming. I appreciate it. Just to, I'll reiterate it for me and Nino, but for the audience. <laughs> It's, it's just a lesson. Make sure you're in record. Um, always record. Always ask. <laughs> I came over to have coffee with Nino, uh, kind of killing a, sorry, bird and egg, killing mm -hmm. two bird and eggs with two bird and eggs with one, one stone. stone. Uh, <laughs> Nino and I have been trying to uh, get together and uh, meet up just to have coffee and hang out and, and get to know each other. And we have a little secret selling group on Facebook. And I was in conversation selling some uh, some Mogami DB25 DB25 snakes and uh, Nino chimed in and long story short I'm here to sell him those snakes and have coffee with him and I said hey while I'm there how about we do an interview <laughs> so here we are we are recording Pro I see Pro Tools running we're definitely over there. recording we're de now. I see it <laughs> so what we've been sitting here talking about is here at Bird and Egg in Richmond California Nino's been here for six years six years yeah basically came here through a process of um, needing to move to a, back to out of out of the central valley yeah the foothills outside uh, the central valley back to the bay area where he felt there was a little more culture and, and music and art going on and back where he he was from it, it wasn't the case yeah and a little back and forth wife being pregnant you now have two children something mm -hmm. we have in common so we're in this kind of industrial area of Richmond and we're talking uh or when we realized Pro Tools wasn't running we were talking about the relationship Nino has with his landlord in the process of moving in here uh we talked about um 
the landlord splitting the cost of uh, finishing up some walls. Mm -hmm. But essentially, this when you moved into this space six years ago, yeah, it already had the shape of a studio because there was already a musician that had been here. It did, yeah, and there was, yeah. So that's a cool thing, and super fortunate just to yeah and i found it fascinating that your landlord split the cost of finishing the walls with you maybe it wasn't as big of a job as i would imagine but enough that it needed to get done right yeah i think it was uh, if i recall correctly it was around three thousand bucks okay um, three thousand dollars to to finish it so we basically just between the landlord and myself we split the cost to build to kind of finish out the walls and listeners can't see it, but it's, you know, there's basically a, a smaller control room, maybe, I don't know, 18 by 15. Okay. And then a bigger live room that's, uh, I think it's 22 by 40, something like that. Yeah. So decent sized live room and then a, a smaller ISO room. And then there's two windows that separate the control room from the ISO room and the control room from the live room. And this was all here prior to me moving in. So when we, we found the space, you know, six years ago. Aside from it being, you know, the walls not being finished and that thing uh, not being completely done, it was like, oh, you know, this is like really close to being a functional studio already for, for what I needed it to do. Obviously, it wasn't like built out from the ground up kind of space. But You said uh, you scoured for a while looking for the place. Yeah, a did couple you, years probably. You found out about this place on Craigslist? Mm -hmm. And did it say pre-existing studio? It did not. It said, you know, some warehouse, industrial space in Richmond, El Cerrito um, was kind of the ad that was on Craigslist. But they, there were pictures there. And I saw the pictures and I was like, man, that really looks like somebody had done something audio related. So as soon as I could, you know, I came over here and checked it out. And at that point, it was the question still exists, like what was here before because at that point it was it had been vacant for like a year or a year and a half something like that and before that it was uh, like a basket manufacturing something that had to do with making baskets if I recall correctly um, so it hadn't been a studio um, for quite some time at that point and the question still existed like for me is like what you know is was it a studio what was it it looks a lot like a studio you know or at least something that a musician had you know put some thought into and like. Hey, I want to create this space. So, yeah, and it turned out the 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 realtor that had listed the space, Michael Whitwer, who's now above me um, in the space directly above me, he was the musician that had built it out. And eventually, I ended up having a conversation with him about it, and he explained the whole thing. And you know, it was a studio about I think fifteen years ago for okay. a, a couple years. So you got the history from him. That's yeah, great. Yeah, exactly. As far as your clients. Who are they? Like, what kind of what kind of music do you mainly deal with? Um, I mean, that's actually just to 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 dovetail or to tag on to the the upstairs neighbor being the musician that had the space. Still to this day, there's musicians that come in here and remember it from 15 years ago as a as a studio space. Mostly uh, Richmond and El Cerrito musicians that had come by here, um, you know, 15 years ago. So that's, that's kind of funny, but... Yeah, that's always the case when you move into a pre-existing space yeah. like that. Yeah, it's cool. That uh, happened to me in Emeryville. I, I was at a place and people would come in and go, I was here like 15 years ago. Yeah, some foggy, distant memory. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, to, to answer your question as far as... Um, you know, style of music and genre and that kind of thing. It's we do so much different types of music. I mean, it's really I would say it's mostly American music. You know, but anything from rock and roll to rhythm and blues, um, gospel music, folk music. Um, I've done a number of bluegrass records here. Mm -hmm. um, it's pretty pretty much across the board in terms of uh, style of music. A lot of jazz records actually too. Mm -hmm. Um, What's your which primary I love instrument? Doing. Uh, my primary instrument, the first instrument I started playing was drums when I was a kid. So that's kind of the my default instrument. But you know, throughout the years, I've also studied bass and uh, some keyboards and guitar and mm. songwriting in general. So that's kind of that's how I came to engineering and record making was through you know being a musician and a songwriter. That's kind of what got me turned on to it. Sorry, I'm jumping around here. No, but, it's okay. Uh, to the listener, I'll post these pictures on the uh, bonus content part of the website, but there's a lot of beautiful gear in here. Some of the gear here I see is somewhat newer within the last 
five years. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, which tells me that you're doing you're doing work. It's busy. Is this true? It is true. Yeah, definitely. We stay busy here for sure. Um, it's definitely ebb and flow. Like sometimes it's busier than other times, mm-hmm. and you know it's always in the back of my head. And I have a, another young engineer here, James Meter, who's awesome. He works over here a lot. That's kind of the deal, you know, working class musicians, working class engineers, freelance people, artists. It's, I think, uh, just part of the the deal is that, you know, it comes and it goes. And as long as you can stick in with it long enough for the next little, you know, project or whatever to come in, then then it's good. And so that's kind of how it's been. Your rate. What's the rate here? Um, we're at fifty bucks an hour and four fifty for a ten eleven hour block. Um, and that obviously includes you. Includes in, all that includes an engineer, yeah. And then we have you know different rates um, if for different projects really. And we'll do like if it's a long term thing. That's kind of like the short term if people just want a few hours to like a day. But we have done like week you know kind of project based pricing with records that are going to be kind of ongoing records and then my mix rate is different than the the uh tell me about that studio rate how do you how do you are you is that a work in progress your mix rate um yeah i think it always will be right like i mean it's kind of like trying to find the magic formula that works for for people (laughs) yes i guess so it's like you know i mean five years ago my mix rate was less than it is now (laughs) you know um and the mix rate kind of depends on the project i think you know how long it's going to take how dense the sessions are mm-hmm. what about like all that attended stuff. versus unattended unattended is always a lot more efficient you know so and attended always takes a lot more time so i'm always kind of or in most cases i kind of try to sway it to unattended at least the first chunk of it and this is all assuming i didn't record the project you know because if we're recording projects here like as you know like a lot of the mixing does take place while you're tracking. You know, you want to hear it, or I personally, I want to hear it as soon as I can hear it sounding like a record. That's what I want. You know, mm-hmm. like so if that's off the floor as we're tracking, then that's great. You know, and the sooner we can get to that place, I feel the better. You know, because then you're those decisions are done. You're not adding stuff just because you think it's gonna <laughs> add that much more to it. I guess to answer the question or to come back to the point. The rate is, I feel like it is something that kind of, you know, ebbs and flows like the work. I mean, within a degree, it's not like I'm going to do this project for this much and this project for this much. Like I'll, I have kind of a bottom end of what I can do and then like a top end of what I can do in terms of, you know, survivable, like, does it make sense for me to take on this project at this rate, you know, based on maybe what this independent, you know, artist has or... To quote you, does it mm-hmm. make sense for me to take on this project? Do you think engineers stop to ask themselves enough times those kinds of questions? Like, it's, you know, because at our core, I think we love to get involved. Of course. And sometimes we love to get involved in salvage projects. Yeah. It's like, if I see an old computer sitting on the street, I have to exercise such restraint to not bring that little project home because I have to ask myself, do Is I really want to get, in, get into this? And sometimes I don't think I personally ask myself that with audio. Yeah. I mean, I think to it's a really good thing to ask, and I think that the only way to start to ask yourself that question is to say yes to a lot of stuff that <laughs> maybe wasn't equitable to get into, but it's art, you know? There's going to be a lot that, like... <laughs> The essence of getting into it in the first place is not equitable, you know? To be an artist in the first place, it's not, you know, the main point can't be to make money because it's so few and far between that an artist can really get up in terms of money, you know, and like have a, a very successful career, you know? Like we can, I think the potential to sustain like a living is there. I think it could be a lot better, you know what I mean? Just in terms of the population valuing the art, you know, I think that's a big thing for us right now is like, well, yeah, we're making records, but like, how does the population actually value the art, you know, and how do the musicians make a living? How do the engineers make a living? How do the artists actually thrive? And it's a series of small businesses and the business to business relationship between studio, engineer, artist, public. Well, the public is the consumer, of course, but I don't know. I sometimes I, I look at how artists function in 
as much as many artists hate to hear this, I mean, they, they're running a small business. It's true, man. And I feel that they never, well, they not never, but many artists, at least in the Bay Area that I've encountered, obviously it's art, but I think sometimes they have to put on the business hat to think like, my investment in creation of this art, like, and I, and I think I'm referring mostly to like, you know, studio choice. Mm -hmm. So if I'm an artist and I'm going around and I see, you know, okay, there's Bird and Egg, I can go to Fantasy, I can go to Shark Bite, I can go to Tiny Telephone, you know, 25th Street. I don't want to leave any studios out, but I can't name everybody. <laughs> but um, so with all of the studios that we have here, it's like, I wonder, like, from the artist's perspective, like, mm -hmm. what do they hope to get out of the situation? And sometimes I think they're just looking for the cheapest deal. And that bothers me, I think. I wish that yeah, they would, you know, I wish there was a way to, almost like a job fair, mm -hmm. you know, where artists and engineers and studio owners could you know get together and kind of find common ground and, and figure out like what the, the what where, where the like match set a is bar for yeah because we just because like, sometimes you know you have an artist that comes in and well how much do you charge okay right, and right. they and it's and they base it all on that but well i think to, i mean being a musician and and you're a musician too right it's like unless um the musician is savvy around like what happens in the studio it is just a price you know like they're just for all they know like we're doing the same using the same equipment and mm -hmm. it all looks the same <laughs> really, pretty much know? yeah right? we are i mean even to us it's like okay it's a variation it's on the theme same, of yeah it's the same shit really like you know i mean so really it comes down to like i can i can understand why an artist would be like okay price is the main point here you know and like you know there's a lot of unseen things that they may exist that that just aren't acknowledged or whatever um I mean, I'm, for for us here, and I think it probably is the case for most studios and most like engineers, producers, and whatnot. It, a lot of it just has to do with relationship, you know. Like, I mean, I don't get people like I don't get a whole lot of people just like randomly calling me, like that don't know me or don't have some connection to my musical community, you know. Mm -hmm. It's so it's it's so they already have kind of like information going into it whether or not it's like gear information or just like community information of like, Hey, go check this spot out because you know, they did a good job on this or whatever, you know? So I think, um, that's a big part of, of, of our clientele is just like, you know, because we've been here now for six years, it's like maybe, you know, that's kind of, we've never advertised or anything like that. Like that's, um, I think that's generally why people come here, but so I don't have too much experience with like, just random people like just shopping you know like okay go and call and say hey how much do you charge for this or that and the other you know it's like it's all pretty for the most part um people know what they're coming here for at least know like what the rates are you know so anyway i don't know is that on, on point no that makes a lot of sense i mean it's community-based business really mm -hmm. you don't you, it's not like a yellow pages kind of situation yeah and I want to swing back uh, to uh, our discussion about mixing. And I wanted to mention, I saw this thing somebody posted on Facebook. It was a mem that had to do with design services, like mm -hmm. for whatever, whether it's stationary or some design thing for a poster. And mm -hmm. it said, uh, I, you know, design, I do it all on my own. It was X amount of dollars. It was like the cheapest amount, mm -hmm. you, you know, you attend you you stay here you design it you know the the more involved the client became the higher the price became <laughs> and i replied and i said man That's that <laughs> really could apply to mixing yeah, yeah definitely uh, or even mastering um what is your feeling about and I don't, i'm not asking you to try to like alienate people but in uh -huh. your to, so I, I think what i'm asking you is for you to do the best work in your ability yeah. Is it really, is it, is it easier to just not have somebody looking over your shoulder? Is it? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think, yeah, for me, absolutely. You know, I mean, with mixing a song or a record, you know, and this is all assuming that like the project was delivered to me after being recorded, you know, because obviously if you're part of the recording portion of it, you're, everybody's hearing it together and we're kind of working on it, even if we're not, you know, we're not in the mix stage, quote unquote, yet. We're in the tracking stage. Everybody's hearing what's coming off the floor and we're doing overdubs and all that kind of stuff. 
So everybody's kind of, the band is putting their input into it, right? But in the case where the project is just delivered to me as files and I'm mixing it, I mean, to have the artist or the band like there as I'm just doing the mundane shit of setting up Pro Tools and buses and, you know, organizing the session, like there's so much of that time is on the front end of it is spent doing that. It just feels awkward, you know, when people are just there like, you know, and then you maybe insert a compressor or something and it's like, oh, what does that do? And I'm all for like, yeah, empowering the musicians and like they should definitely know what's going on in terms of like how this may affect the sound. But if you have to, you're trying to do something creative artistically with the sound, you know, and like help them get, you know, attain something that's better than what they brought in. It's like to have to sit there and answer questions or even just the, the presence of people while you're just doing some of the more mundane stuff but the artistic stuff too i just i don't see it it's never been that productive for me to have attended mixes not not that i wouldn't do it um in in a lot of cases that where i record the record and then we mix like the attendant part is the actual recording and by that time the band is like all right you know i've made it clear like when it's time to mix like i'll just want a couple days on my own you know on this stuff and then once i feel like it's listenable for everybody as a group then we'll start scheduling some sessions like that you know where maybe the band comes in or maybe just the two primary songwriters come in or whatever you know but i think that i think it comes back to decision making and when you have you know five six people in the control room over the engineers you know that's trying to mix the record like everybody's got an opinion the audience doesn't see me shaking my head (laughs) and rolling my eyes and complete agreement and dissatisfaction with that concept yeah well to me it's it's like I think one could argue to the artist if if you ever have an artist that says no i have to be there for the whole time it's like well how would you feel if i sat there as you wrote a song and started yeah. asking you questions oh what's that chord totally well what if you played it like this yep. you know it's like i i don't i don't see how and and maybe it's based on it obviously it's based on my experience because yeah. i've been in a band that sat in the control room with a great mixing engineer and completely goofed up the process by going can i have more snare drum i need more the process that's a good yeah that's a good term to describe it gooped up yeah it's just kind of getting in the way a little bit i mean at the same time like you know it's i think it's on us right to like communicate why that is i think that's because if you communicate why that is most most artists are gonna be like oh okay It'll be better if we're not there for like the first, at least the first chunk of it. You know, our our album is going to be better because of it. And if you can, I think if you can communicate that, because you don't want to exclude any, it's their process. Ultimately, like we're, you know, as engineers, producers or whatever, like we're working for the artist, you know, and like, we're their we can't tool, say, yeah. no, you can't be here. Like, you know, obviously, like if somebody really wants to be there. So I think the the trick of it is to to just be communicative, you know, and like straightforward and like, Hey, this is this is what I'm doing on the front end. You know, a lot of this stuff, like for the first, you know, chunk of it is going to just be organizing the session. It's going to be really boring. Like, there's not going to be any fun stuff that's going to ha- be happening there. Um, and then just kind of explaining like that process. You know, I think um, is crucial for us because you, the artist, has to be informed, right? You know, and you can't just say yeah. No. I, I would agree. And sometimes. I, I am patient with it ultimately. Internally, I'm impatient with right. it. But I I definitely try to take a deep breath and go, right, right, okay. I'm going to do this. And I don't, like I always tell the artist, I, I need you to listen to it with the freshest of, ear, of ears and perspective. And if you sit there and get fatigued. That's not going to happen. You're going you're gonna to yeah. lose all perspective. And you're going to hear all, it's like, as I always do, cooking analogies. It's like, do you really want to sit there and watch me cut the carrots? Right. Do you care? Chop the garlic, all that. Right. Yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do that, and I'll put it in the pot, and you tell me, you know, tell me after the fact how it tastes. Totally. Maybe a little more salt, pepper. Possibly. <laughs> That's a good analogy. <laughs> um, having listened to the show, mm-hmm. you probably know I'm going gonna gonna go down this path. Mm-hmm. Tell me about your work life balance with your family as as a as a dad with two children. It hasn't been without challenge for sure. You know, as you know, music, musicians and music oftentimes takes place late at night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's been a, that's definitely been a challenge, but yeah, having James here has really helped that. James is the, the, the other engineer that works out of here a lot. 
And then another friend of mine, Joe, too. They help out quite a bit. They don't have kids, do they? They don't. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, that's, it's been a challenge. So, I mean, just in the last couple of years, like, you know, the first, the beginning half of the, the studio being open, it was like, I felt the need to be here all the time and just like make sure everything was cool and make sure the bathroom was clean and the dishes were done and all that kind of stuff. And also the sessions, make sure the sessions were running um, well. But I've been able to, I'd say probably in the last like two to three years, let go of a lot of that, you know. Um, I mean, it all still gets done, but the late night sessions, I try to, unless I really want to be there and that's a that's a project that I'm really invested in, I try to, to do daytime sessions. That's, you know, I engineer the day. And then James engineers the nights and then we kind of split the weekends occasionally. But um, yeah, but that's been a big thing, like trying to and I don't think at all like the balance is totally there because it's, you know, it's still music. And I mean, I love coming over here and and playing late at night with my friends, you know, and I think that will always be. So it's just I think it's just something that we deal with as musicians and artists and engineers, you know. But the mixing, since I've been doing more mixing in the last like four years, three, four years, that's that's nice because it's more on my own time, especially if it's an unattended session or whatever. Yeah. Sounds like you've really shaped, uh, as your children have come into this world, you kind of shaped your work life around them. Totally. And, and I think I think some of us feel pressure to cater to the clients and, you know, it's like, oh, well, I mean, you know the the artist or the client is is our is our boss it's a it's they are our, our where our money comes from mm-hmm. and where our career is built so i think some people feel like the pressure to you know do and work whenever they you know do the do the work whenever the artist is there to work. yeah personally i've had a little more i don't know uh take control of my own destiny kind of attitude about it and you know i just got to a point where i was like i'm not gonna work till two in the morning you know, I used to do as an artist. I mean, I've done those midnight to eight a.m. like discounted Hyde Street Studios sessions, and I'm like, I'm I'm too old for that, right. personally. Yeah, I mean, I feel I'm not that way Keith, too. Or you know, I'm not too old. I just don't have the lifestyle of Keith Richards to handle it. Well, you have to like, w- w- at what expense, right? Like, at what expense does that happen? It's not just it's not just the time that you're there. It's like the time that it's going to take for you to catch up on that sleep, and you're sleeping during the day when your kids are like up and want to play and be with you, you know, it's like there's more, there's, there's more effect than just like the time that you're spending in the studio late, you know, it really has implications for like the rest of your life, you know, Mm -hmm. especially in in regards to kids, kids don't, you know, they get up at six o'clock in the morning and go to bed at eight. Look, hopefully, if my kids have been getting up at five thirty to play Minecraft, (laughs) which is just crazy. Yeah, Uh, and and I'm like, I hear voices. I'm like, who's up? I get up. I'm like, what are you guys doing up so early? We're playing Minecraft. What the hell is going on in here? I'm curious. Like, uh, you know, we're both we're both parents, and um, we're uh, Warren Mm -hmm. Hewitt, who was on uh, a few episodes ago, and you and me. I see a lot of similarities in our in our situation um Mm -hmm. from a kid perspective and engineer perspective to the engineer that is out there whether you are uh there's so many variable situations but let's Mm -hmm. say that you know your partner is about to give birth or you're uh maybe you're a female engineer who's going to give birth Mm -hmm. absolutely um a lot of different possibilities out there so or you're or maybe you're in a relationship where having kids is being discussed Mm -hmm. and you're worried about what that's going to do to your world what advice could you offer from your experience of like the fear that they may have or fear and excitement because i mean kids you know as i don't know it's been great for me i love i i can't see my world without my kids feel the same um i mean i don't advise shit i don't know but (laughs) i can definitely say that like you know my wife mia is she's a crucial part of me being able to keep music in my life, continue music. And, you know, I mean, we've, we've both made sacrifices. I don't think you, you know, if you, if you have kids, like there's, there are certain sacrifices, especially as, you know, I I think in any case, but if you're an artist, like, yeah, you have to kind of tailor things slightly differently, you know, when the kids come along. But also, I mean, for me, like my wife has been a huge support 
for uh you know me sticking with music and you know financially and just spiritually like you know mentally emotionally all that stuff like you know we're there for each other like that's kind of the deal um i mean in, in regards to like how children change things and advice i mean i don't it's hard to offer advice but i i feel like for me family you know has definitely is always the the first thing you know mm -hmm. that's like hopefully the first thing you know i mean i can't say that like i have made the decision to go work and you know not have that sunday dinner that we agreed to have you know like every sunday or whatever there is the occasion where you have to you do or i have made an exception but but overall for me family is first you know and like i don't want to miss a birthday i don't want to miss um you know all those moments that like you can't get that shit back you know yeah that's um, why like for example you know everybody's like hey you gonna you gonna be at aes in new york you know over halloween nope no hell no don't want to miss halloween is that what you were buying a pirate suit for <laughs> no the pirate <laughs> thing was because it's it was pirate day uh at uh my son's school okay. for, or at least for the second grade you know, is referring to the fact that I posted something on Facebook of my seven-year-old in a pirate outfit. So now you called me when we talked on the phone or something. You oh, were like, oh, okay, okay, that's right. Like, I gotta go buy a pirate suit. Oh, sorry, <laughs> right. Like, oh. I'm confused. Yeah, because I posted something on Facebook and then we texted back and forth where I had to go get the pirate thing. Yeah, man. The, yeah, I hear you. It's like the those moments in a child's life, like Halloween, like early birthdays. It's like if you don't attend those they're gonna call you on that shit later Hell yeah so i think to bring this back to those without kids or, yeah. or those in the studio it's like whether you have kids or not the communication of your personal life like if there's something in your personal life that's important and you don't communicate that and then uh, to your clients in some capacity like i can do the record but i can't work on this particular sunday if you don't tell them and then you surprise them, then you look like an asshole. Totally. And also resentment. I mean, I think that's that's really good advice. You offer great advice is like being straight up with the clients around your family life. And I think that they'll respect if you, you know, if you are a family guy, like obviously or gal, like, you know, this is we're talking about kids here. So not everybody has kids that's working in music and whatnot. But yeah, I think being like clear with the clients and like and setting those boundaries for yourself because ultimately if you do end up taking that sunday evening gig when you're supposed to be with your with your family you're going to end up resenting the client for you even being there in the first place right it's like just you don't want to be in a situation where there's resentment where you're missing out on something with your family you know it's just not a good position to be in and in some cases and i've made this mistake it's like um being so financially stretched uh can really do damage so if you're about to buy a piece of gear that is going to put you as i like to say behind the eight ball if it's mm -hmm. going to put you in the hole and it's going to stress out your personal life don't do it because then you're going to have to take a gig at an inopportune time to cover that and i'll tell you when my kids were born uh I think I made the mistake of jumping back into work too early when mm. I should have been at home backing up my wife. Mm. And that's a, a definitely a regret I have. So, mm. um, and whether it has to do with kids or whether it has to do with just, you know, caring for, you know, an elderly parent or a special needs person in your life, um, you need to think about managing the studio life with communication, I think. Yeah, and I'm, I'm sure that, that, that you would agree there that, you know, and some clients, Absolutely. some clients are going to be like, what do you mean you can't work till two in the morning on Sunday? It's like, well, look, you just have to stick to those guns. And, and I think, yeah, just being clear up, up front, you know, because if you make the sacrifice, it's not going to serve any purpose. You know, it's not going to you're really not going to maybe you get that gig and you made that extra whatever, you know, and OK, yeah, that looks good now. But at what expense, you know, mm -hmm. to you, to your client, to your family? I think it's to when you communicate with a client, I think it's important to to emphasize you know you're hiring they're hiring you to do a job and you have to do your job well totally. so that you'll not only be asked back on the second record or w another record and maybe you'll even get a referral out of it so to do your job you need to eff effectively communicate to the client what you need schedule wise to do your job at your best right. maybe you operate best at four in the morning and and you, you got to communicate that totally so yeah i think that's that's a really good point that you bring up like just communication with clients is so crucial you know to maintaining those relationships you know it's kind of you know 
synonymous with like being in a marriage or or whatever any kind of relationship that you have like i think it's important clear communication and so that you get what you need you're not over committing to something digging yourself a hole mm-hmm. that kind of, and i think it's a challenge i don't think it you know i mean i'm not i'm i'm speaking from having done that <laughs> and been in that position mm-hmm. so it's like you you kind of also maybe you need to learn from making that mistake like most things you learn from doing it in the first place, making the mistake and then learning from that point. But yeah, I think those are all really good points. And I know it's kind of counter to how I normally operate here on the show, but like I say, there's a lot of interesting gear here. I want to, yeah. I want to maybe talk a little bit about, um, you have a Studer quarter inch, uh, two track over there. Mm-hmm. How often do you do an analog based session? Oh man, not very often, unfortunately. Um, right now I'm currently working on one record that was cut on tape. Okay. How do you find that workflow of going back and forth between working in a DAW versus working on tape? Um, it's, I mean, it's cool. I love the, you know, when a project happens where the band or the artist is like even interested in tape, like, I think it's cool as long as it's understood and there's like a clear reason why, you mm-hmm. know, and it's not just a romantic notion. I think it can be really cool. I think the workflow is the main thing that makes it different than working in Pro Tools. But again, it's like cost, cost is different, time is different. So in most cases, people are deciding to use Pro Tools or whatever digital mm-hmm. format you're on. But here it's Pro Tools. So it's it's just different you know the two formats are different and i mean I, I like both but i think generally the main difference between working in pro tools and working in tape is just the f- the the flow of the session and i think it's it's good to try to um, or for us anyway i speak for myself really in this is that like pro tools is it's nice to have pro tools just be the recording device <laughs> um you know what i mean and kind of try to attempt to treat it like tape where it's like you're not always looking at the screen you're not always worried about what plugins gonna go on or whatever you know it's like and trying to get the sound out in the room that's like the last few years um for me has been really about that you know getting it to sound like a record as soon as possible you know so we're making those decisions then and it sounds cool coming off the floor you know maybe we're slamming the compressor or whatever like just sounds awesome going in and we're not adding anything to it that's just what it sounds like and i think that um that philosophy i think kind of comes from the days of of just working on tape where i think things were making records it was a little closer to sounding like a record earlier on Mm -hmm. you know what i mean whereas now people just kind of go oh we can change that or put a filter on that or make put that delay on later whatever it is you know you know there's so much equipment choices out in the world today um beyond new and used gear um there's just a lot of gear period so what makes you choose a piece of gear and in, and i'm seeing a pattern here where a mm-hmm. lot of what you have not everything but many things in here i see pairs of yeah you know i see a pair of warm audio uh, compressors eqs a couple mm-hmm. distressors um a, a lot of pairs of things so it seems like you like to buy th- with a two-channel thought process that's fair to say <laughs> yeah i think that's coming as from to this as a drummer you know like, <laughs> and knowing that like well shit if i want to compress and smash that you know most likely it m- will probably be in stereo the drums will you know 80 percent of the time are in stereo although i love mono drums you know and just being able to bus you know two things out to a stereo pair of compressors is pretty cool um but like what makes you decide on a particular piece of gear um i mean i i definitely like gear that like imparts a sound you know like Mm. it's going to change the sound whether or not i'm using it as it's supposed to be you know used or not just running something through it is going to change the sound and i don't i don't know i i think that comes from just you know being a musician being a drummer like when i change the snare out i I know that the snare is going to be different when i insert something on the vocal or whatever i want it to be different than how it sounded (laughs) before i put that on it you know Mm -hmm. so i don't i i you know, I guess that's that's the answer to that is like I like stuff that changes the sound of it, you know, and imparts something. Mm-hmm. You know? Let's say you'd make a decision. I'm going to buy a piece of gear or I'd like to buy a compressor or a pair of compressors. Mm-hmm. So as far as where you buy, like do you buy from, you know, a large online vendor? Do you buy locally? Do Mostly you... locally. Yeah. Okay. Mostly used. Okay. Um, I mean, the warm audio uh, things, I don't know, some of your listeners probably know the warm stuff. Uh, the, the 1176 compressors, like those were brand new. But I bought them brand new because 
they're pretty darn cheap, brand new, you know, and they sound great. Um, they sound to me, they sound like an 1176. And we have, you know, there's two 11, 11 Universal Audio 1176s down here. So yeah, I mean, those pieces were new just because they're pretty darn affordable. Everything else is used. Yeah, like I very rarely buy a piece of gear brand new. Um, just cause, you know, after working in music stores for so long, like I know the markup, I know that like, as soon as you buy it, it's going to depreciate. And, you know, it's kind of like as a family man too, like this is an investment, you know, like I want to know if shit hits the fan, I can sell all this stuff, and, mm -hmm. you know, or maybe and the least amount of money you have invested, the better. Totally. Like as long as it's a, a piece of gear, that's going to either stay at that value. Um, you were talking about that old pro tool system in the shop, like that was a really a, a big learning experience for me because I bought that system and the Mac that went with it. It was a G3, the blue G3s. I bought all that brand new. Like I said, that was the only thing I've taken out a loan for. And that was a loan for my brother. So it was like a family loan. But within a year, it had like depreciated by half, you know, and now it's not even worth, you know, the space that it takes up. So that was a big learning experience for me in terms of gear, buying gear, try to buy stuff that you know will either keep its value, hold its value, or appreciate. Um, yeah. Now, sometimes buying new has its benefits. Totally, totally. I as mean, is the warranty. Absolutely. And, and the fact that the components are new. And yeah, you'll probably have to l invest less in keeping it going for longer. Like, sometimes I, I feel weird about buying used mics sometimes because mm -hmm. I just don't know what that mic has been through. Totally. Whether or not it's been dropped. and I wish that, you know, like when you buy a car, you know if there's if, if it's been in an accident or been totaled. Or... Right. A little I wish there was... serial number you could look up. Yeah. <laughs> see what Let me look at, the, you know, the, car, the, the put the VIN number of, of this mic in to like see where it's been and who sang through it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that and you know, and useful. that would be interesting. I'm sure in some cases that would you know inform like what if you're gonna buy it. If you're not. gonna buy it and oh, this person sang through it. Oh, yeah. I'll pay more. Yeah, no, that's true. That's that would be interesting. But yeah, there is that. I mean, with the older gear, you have to keep that in mind that it's going to take it's going to be more maintenance heavy um, sometimes in studio in commercial studio situations the mm -hmm. perception of professionalism is can sometimes be judged on labels you know totally it's you know it's 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 the it's a designer jeans kind of bullshit concept it's total i bullshit, think yeah. so you know there's some brands and i'm not going to name those brands that some people look down upon mm -hmm. as not being totally you know pro or high-end enough for them mm -hmm. and i mean so, sometimes i think that there's some of these people out there that have just lost the, the the whole picture and they pay attention to the wrong stuff right but do you ever think about that? Do you ever think, well, we better choose this brand over that brand because, you know, people are going to frown upon that? Or do you not give a shit? No, I don't give a shit. Okay. Yeah, I really don't give a shit about that. I mean, ultimately, like, most of this stuff in the racks, like, you know, it's, it's, it's obviously useful and it imparts a sound and stuff, but you don't need to have all this shit to make a great record. You know, yeah. that's kind of people, I mean, generally that's people understand that. So, yeah, I mean, the gear association, the brand association, all that stuff, I don't, I don't buy it. Um, I don't buy stuff based on the label or whatever. I mean, you know, like everybody generally, like it's known in this line of work that a, an 1176 does a certain thing, you know? Um, now there's a whole bunch of different choices of what 1176 you're going to, you know, and what which one you can get. And there's some really affordable versions of them now. And there's kits that you can build and all that stuff. So, but that's based on what it does, you know? It does something that's super useful, not the not necessarily the brand. But yeah, I don't pay too much attention to that brand association. I mean, I think there's brands that make good stuff, obviously. like Yeah, and a lot of these manufacturers, you know, uh, on the high end do make good stuff. Yeah. But you don't always have to buy it new or buy that brand because uh, there's competitors that do make you know, that have warranties that offer something at a more working class level. Totally. We live in a very different time as far as equipment now, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. You said something earlier, and, and I know we're continuing a little bit of a gear conversation uh, that I don't, normally don't engage in, but um, <laughs> but we are talking about stuff around the gear that, you know, that I think pertains to the spirit of the show. Uh, when we launched at Pro Tools, uh, before we realized we weren't recording. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, you a made lessons. a comment to me. You said, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm still on uh, Pro Tools HD8. Yeah. And that's my kind of, you know, that, that was your protest. Yeah, but, I guess it's, if it's a protest. Yeah. yeah I mean, <laughs> uh, is that just because, <laughs> you know, you, 
because of the investment that you've made or well, why? I mean, a couple of things. I think primarily like it works well yep. and I, there's no technical need for, for nine or 10 at this point. Uh -huh. Um, I mean, there is the pain in the ass when a pro tool PTX session comes in, I have to convert it, you know, um, to a PTF file. Right. That's the main thing. So yeah, I just haven't found a real justifiable need to, to do that and also it's you know to to upgrade it's just more hassle than what i feel it's worth <laughs> yeah you know what i mean and i'd rather invest that money in other places places where i i actually know that it's affecting the sound you uh -huh. know and what we're actually getting capturing or whatever you know and it's all digital man and all most of it records at the same sample frequency and bit depth and all that stuff do you ever consider going to a different daw uh, curiosity um I mean, I haven't seriously considered it. I've looked at that radar system, you know, but mm -hmm. not seriously, not like I'm going to buy it. But what I do like kind of about that radar system, um, to get back to the tape kind of analogy, is it seems like that system is more like a tape machine. You know, yeah. you're recording to it. Sure. That's what you're doing, just recording to it. So, but no, I've, I haven't seriously, mainly because I started uh, using Pro Tools pretty early on, you know, mm -hmm. like... Uh, I first my first like internship at a big studio they had uh what was the two-track version of, of pro tools Sa uh, are you talking about sound, sound designer, designer. Yeah, yeah exactly so yeah. they had that that was the first time i saw the you know wow waveforms waveforms on a computer screen it's crazy we can see the audio so since then it's like that was you know when when shortly after that pro tools just blew up um and then i got a 001 when that whole you know pro tools le was available um, and then that first TDM system. So I just know it now. So it's easy. It's quick. It's efficient. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the main reason why I'm on Pro Tools. That is the reason why I'm on Pro Tools. It's okay. because I know the interface. I know. So from a workflow perspective, it's, you know, it's just. Yeah. I mean, what it, it does, wouldn't make too much sense to have to relearn, you know, all the functionality of it. And so interesting. But I'm not, you know, I could give a shit about, you know, loyalty to Avid or anybody else. <laughs> <in there. laughs> What's your. Um, What's your, f I want to talk about the good side and the bad side. What's your mm -hmm. favorite thing about having a studio and being a studio owner? That's a great question. My favorite thing is after we've got everything set up in the room, this is assuming we're doing a live session, everybody's playing together. My favorite thing is when they get a couple songs into it and everybody's super stoked and relaxed and just playing music in the room. Mm -hmm. Just hearing that and hearing it when it's really good and everybody's like vibing off each other. And that's that's my favorite thing. Just hearing the music and being part of that process with, with an artist or a band or whatever. What do you dislike the most? All the business bullshit. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, the necessaries, the necessary evils. Such just as? Just the day-to-day, -day, you know, like making sure that the lights are on, you know, and that the kind of gets the stress that that can bring to, you know, and not, I mean, I feel like at this point, you know, I try to put that out of my mind and just have faith that like it's gonna work. You know, we're gonna see another couple days or a couple months or whatever. And now it's like a couple years. Yeah, we're good for a few years or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I think that would be just the just the uh, the responsibility that comes with having a space and the maintenance of everything. You know, uh, but it's a small price to pay to be able to facilitate musicians making music. Mm -hmm. It's really fun. I, I always, uh, you said keep the lights on. I mean, literally, mm -hmm. I think the electric bill is one of the most overlooked expenses that some younger people getting into it overlook. It's yeah. Like, there's a lot of beyond the rent if mm -hmm. you're renting. Well, yeah. most people are renting. Most people are renting. Yeah. You got your rent, you got your electric. You got your uh, insurance. Insurance. You might have a garbage bill. You might have a water bill. Water bill. Depending yeah. on your arrangement. Yeah. Um, Security. The, um, uh, internet. Because internet I mean, connection. you're going to want to be communicating with the outside world. Obviously, I just let the internet go. By <laughs> the way, I actually just fired AT and T, so we're oh. in the process of going to, I guess, Comcast. <laughs> Speaking of brand loyalty, out of the frying yeah. pan into the fire. I haven't had internet here, and this is this is probably to my dismay at this point. But I haven't had internet internet here for probably three months now uh -huh. and it's really just because i i haven't gone through the process to call comcast and get them out here because you don't have a week to thing. sit on the phone exactly and yeah, exactly troubleshoot this and then set the modem up and all that it just kind of you know it's one of those things i'm a terrible procrastinator but it hasn't been that bad you know i mean it's just it can actually have having now I've, i have kind of a, a case study on it right? okay we had internet before and now we don't have it is a pain in the ass at sometimes uploading files and that kind of dropboxing people files. I have to, you know, work around that. Um, Good thing I brought a drive today, huh? Exactly. Yeah. 
But I have noticed people are not on their devices as much, man. Oh, well. I've noticed that. Okay. Definitely noticed that. Well, that's that's a, so a bonus. Maybe people are more engaged with the recording process. I don't know. That's But at the same time, I'm getting internet in the next month. So. <laughs> okay. But that's my argument for that one. Would you? Is that something that you'd be willing to forego just because of what you've observed in this last three months? Potentially. Like, I don't. I guess the main question is like, would I be losing? Am I losing? Any Are you business? losing business as a result of not having internet? Right. I don't think so. Right. <laughs> In the last three months, you don't I have don't to upgrade so. to the latest Pro Tools, but you better, you better have, have internet. internet. Yeah, I mean, mostly it'd be for me again because it's nice to have Spotify and like you know reference shit. But it's coming; it's inevitable again. But um, yeah, I don't know. Interesting. It's been cool. It's been a nice little break. I have to say that it's been a nice break to not have people dip down in their computers the whole fucking session. You know, or and it's not a judgment on anybody, but it's just like, and I may be just making this up in my mind, but I do feel like people have been a little more engaged in the process of recording when there's not internet around. In the restaurant business, and I'm no expert, but obviously, you know, you have a restaurant, mm -hmm. you want people to come in, you want them to order, and you want the table to turn over so you can get a lot of people through there and serve as many meals as possible. Mm -hmm. And I think that they, there was a study, I don't know who did this study, but they were talking about how the proliferation of smartphones mm -hmm. has really uh, slowed the whole process down because what happens is is the customer comes in sits down at the table they start getting on their phone which slows down their time in which they look at the menu to make a decision the mm -hmm. wait staff sits around the wait staff in turn starts to pull out their phones and then the whole process just slows Same down time, right? and then productivity goes down number of meals served goes down income goes down that's interesting restaurant not you know all the time goes out of business but it definitely can have an impact on the bottom line of the restaurant wow so yeah i don't doubt it i mean i think the verdict's still out you know it's like all these the devices that we now have it hasn't been that long you know like we haven't had we haven't had there hasn't been enough time passed yet to see kind of what effects it has mm -hmm over a long term so i don't know just to bring it back into the studio what have you observed as far as that techno these technologies impeding the recording process and maybe potentially do they do they end up costing the clients more because they're, they're spending more time they're spending they're they're not focused as much yeah i don't i don't know i couldn't comment on it okay on that necessarily like to that degree yeah but i could speak just for myself like if i have my phone up on the desk you know it's it's become such an automatic thing you know it's like i have to check myself around it and like oh no you can't be on the phone like we have to be engaged in this process so there's nothing on facebook you're gonna miss yeah and i mean i'm all for it like that's it's awesome that you can you know share a cool photo with all your friends and it's it's totally cool like i i do it and i love it but i think that um I think it has implications like anything, you know, and like we at least have to keep it in check, especially making records. You know, you know I like the process of taking pictures in the process, you know, when making a record. Mm -hmm. But I think that what can slow the process up is when people they have to take the picture. Oh, wait a minute. Let me post this. Let me tag this. I think that we should it should be encouraged to keep session flow going to take your pictures. That's cool. Totally. But wait to post mm -hmm. post it all in a big post at the end of the day when you're out of here totally. don't post right then and there certainly if, if you're the engineer don't do it and if you're the artist if there's any artists listening you know yeah for your own you know benefit probably consider don't stopping the session to post on facebook it's just yeah. kind of silly yeah and i think it's at least worth like opening up the conversation you know and having it be something that gets talked about in the studio like Hey, are we online right now? Or are we like getting ready to hear the vocalist do another performance and really like, you know, engaging in what that person's doing? Or are we, you know, just. Oh, I mean, I can't tell you the number of times I've. Yeah, okay, let's get, let's, whatever, let's move on to the next thing. And then you call out and you see some like random person in this, not some <laughs> random person, but one of the people involved in the session who you're kind of depending upon like to participate. <laughs> it's like, oh, and they have their phone out. Oh, one sec. Oh, I'm sorry. I had to check. You know, it's always the same line. I'm yeah. sorry. I had to check this. It's like, did you really? I mean, <laughs> did you really? You know, is the hospital no, calling? <laughs> uh, do, do you need to be in surgery? Right. <laughs> yeah. So, no, it's an important conversation to have for sure. Yeah. Well, this has been great, man. I, I think we've touched on a lot of great stuff, and this has been a, a great way to kind of get to know you a bit. 
in in being another guy in the community that does what you know we all enjoy doing so (laughs) thanks for having me here and thanks for uh, coming man it's it's like i say i'll post pictures to the website after we're done recording (laughs) and uh that's it so thank you so much thank you man thanks for having me i appreciate it all right awesome podcast by the way thank you working class audio thank you killing it just trying to do something cool sweet man awesome All right, that was cool. It was great to go over to Bird and Egg and see uh, Nino's studio and hang out. I did take some pictures, as I indicated in the interview, and those will be on the Working Class Audio, the WCA bonus content section of the website, so be sure to check that out. And uh, that's it. We're out of time today. I uh, want to make sure you know that our music, of course, is by Cliff Truesdell, and our voiceover intro there is Chuck Smith. Additional social media and audio support is by Cole Williams. I want to thank our friends over at Gearslets.com for helping us out. And of course, thank you for listening. Take care. Hey, I know many of you are aware of this, but for those of you that aren't aware, Working Class Audio sponsors the forum over at Gearspace.com called Audio Life. And quite simply put, it's a place where audio professionals can go to talk with other audio professionals about things other than audio gear, including life hacks, work-life balance, health and hearing loss. You know, if you want to talk with other audio professionals who can identify with what your lifestyle is like and how it relates to things going on in the world outside of audio, this is a great place to go and check out. So head on over to gearspace.com, check out Audio Life. Many of the same topics that we discuss here on the show on Gearspace.com. So check that out.